Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle, and I'm here a lot, so if you want to talk, hit me up. My name is Kyle. Um, would love to just say thank you all for being here, and let's start with this. If you are a child under the age of 100, would you please stand up? Child under the age of 100? There you go, there you go. There you go. Some people aren't listening to instructions. That's okay. Okay, you can sit down. Now, if you are a child 18 and under, will you please stand up? If you're a child that is 18 and under, stand up. Lovely to see you all. Some of you are taller, shorter. That's okay. All right, you can sit down. If you're a parent in the room, would you stand up? From the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for all you do. Your children are crazy, and we love them. All right, you can sit down. Welcome to Family Sunday. I have the privilege of trying to talk to all of you as you don't listen. It is my favorite thing to do. I do it every Wednesday with most of the teens. So, shall we begin with prayer? Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for your word that it doesn't return void. God, thank you for the truth that's in it. Thank you for your plan, for your mercy and your grace that was from the beginning and continues on to the end. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're continuing in Acts, and this is going to be a fun section. I'm really excited about it, actually. Uh, it kind of ties into a number of things that we as a youth on Wednesdays have been talking through. We've been going through Romans, and we've been in kind of that, uh, that interesting section of the end of eight, chapter nine and chapter 10, where he talks, Paul talks through a number of things like predestination, election, God's plan, God's foreknowledge, all of these big topics that have caused a number of different conversations and books to be read and theological ways of thinking to be concerned. And I think it's really interesting that in this part of Acts, the Holy Spirit works in accordance with God's plan from the beginning, and he brings the disciples and, and the beginning of his church together with him and his plan as they attach themselves to his will and his plan, and they can actually start to see God leading them, which is super, super exciting. Up until now, we've gone through Matthew, we've started Acts, we're starting to step into what it looks like after Jesus has ascended. That's a fancy word for disappeared up into the sky, and he's coming again, which is super exciting. Uh, last week, Chris really talked through that. Uh, he talked through their last instructions, that we were to be witnesses in the culture and the world that we live in, uh, and, he get, and we went through the instructions, the last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. And then we're stepping into this moment, which is, which is like their response. And typically, what has happened is they go, nah, he didn't mean that, or no, what he really meant was this, or they fall asleep, or they just outright don't do it. And when we step into Acts, in this book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the starting and foundation of his church, and what we are doing here and now, this looks very different than what they were doing then, but we're in that same tradition. There's this level of response that they have, which is kind of what I want to challenge us with. It's just right off the get-go, and it's this idea of obedience. So just put that in the back of your head, and let's read God's Word. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 1. We're starting in verse 12. It says, so then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up, oh boy, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew. 
Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the Mary of mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up from among the brethren. The company of persons was about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested, who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. Kids, ask your parents about that later. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called in their own language, al which is the field of blood. And then Peter jumps back in and he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Verse 21 says, So one of the men who had accompanied us, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, from of these men must become one of us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forth two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen to take a place in his ministry and an apostleship for which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and it fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, it's a big mouthful saying this. The disciples listened to Jesus, and they went back and prayed just like he said. And then when they were praying, Peter felt the stirring of the Holy Spirit, and he stood up and said, hey, I think we're supposed to replace Judas because he's gone. And then he gives who they should replace him with. He gives uh, what they need to have done, how long they needed to be with them, pretty much a resume for what it meant to be an apostle with them. And then they make the decision based on essentially flipping a coin or rolling dice, casting lots, and it fell on Matthias. Quick caveat, just because you have a number of nicknames does not mean you're chosen by the Lord. So just, just know that. It was a small church joke. Only two of you got it. Thank you very much. Okay, three elements I want to talk through really fast. Number one is the response the disciples had. The disciples, meaning who we name as the 12 apostles, so the original 12, and those who had been following Jesus from the beginning. So it's like 120 people is what they said gathered in this upper room. So it's mixed. It's people who had started following Jesus probably after his baptism with John, folks that started following Jesus right before his death, maybe some who had fallen away, and then after he reappeared and resurrected and came and dwelt with them for 40 days, they, they believed on him and they followed him. It's this group that went through the same emotions that we go through following Jesus. Is it true? Is it not? Is he real? Is he not? Is, it, is, this, is this God or is it not? And they went through this. But the perfect part of this is after Jesus had risen from the dead, he spent 40 days with them. And as we went through previously in Acts, he spent those 40 days basically revealing the scriptures that they had known and had been taught and had been a part of their culture from the beginning of them as the elected people of God, the Jewish nation. He walked them through the laws, he walked them through the prophets, and he walked them through the Psalms, and he showed them how it all worked in completion for what he came and did, and then what God's continued plan was going to do. Up until Jesus had died and risen from the dead, 
Jesus said over and over and over, he gave them clues. He even said it three times before he died and rose from the dead that he was going to die and raise from the dead. And they didn't get it. They didn't grasp it. He constantly tried to instruct them, give them ideas and hints and bring them along in the story. And the disciples, even the 12, the chosen 12, didn't quite grasp it. They missed it because they were either caught up in what they thought they knew, what they think they should have known, or what they were hoping would happen. And they missed it. But after he died and they all fell away and they all hid, and then he revealed himself to them, the risen Jesus, king of all kings, God in the flesh, both fully God, fully man, came back, rose from the dead, the only one to do that, and he's still alive, the only one to still be alive. He instructed them. He gave them the, the, the entirety of what it actually meant, the laws, the prophets, and the Psalms, why they were written. And it wasn't written for them to have just a set of rules and guidelines. It was written as God's plan A, Jesus, the redemptive power of Jesus, the Christ, for the salvation of everyone who would believe on him. And that was something that they're still going to have to learn and grasp, something that we still learn and grasp with. What does it mean to be saved? How do you know if someone's saved? All of these concepts. But the, the really interesting thing here was after the disciples had encountered the risen Christ, their obedience and their response was different. They listened. They obeyed. It said, they went back with everybody to the upper room, and they did just what Jesus said. Jesus had said, go and pray and wait for power on high to come upon you, and when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, he will lead you in what you should do. And so instead of questioning, instead of going off on their own, they did just that. They said, yes, Lord. They went back to the upper room with another cool caveat, not just the 12, but those who had been following him, the mother of Jesus and his brothers or his family. If you remember when we studied through Matthew, and it's accounted in a number of the Gospels, Jesus' family didn't really think Jesus was the Christ at the beginning either. They were, there was, there's that whole part where Jesus says, you know, a prophet in his hometown is, he, you knock the dust off your shoes, you're not welcome in your hometown, you move on. They didn't quite grasp it. When Jesus went home to where he was from, where people knew him, where his family knew him, that was the one place where he didn't really heal anybody. And he said it's because their belief was not there, their faith in who he was was not there. And how cool is it that after they encountered the risen Jesus, their response was different as well. Even his own family and his hometown, they believed upon him, they knew who he was, and their response was similar. They went with, and they continued to pray and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's this like bringing together all these people who have been along the story the whole way, and they're finally there, they're finally waiting, they're finally listening. I just think that's really interesting. Obedience, unity, and prayer. I'm just going to throw this out there as an opinion. I think if we as a church, big C, not just Anthem, but we as the church of Jesus Christ, if we came together in unity, if we came together in prayer, and we came together in obedience, it'd be really interesting to see how the Holy Spirit would move, would it not? All differences aside, all theological differences aside, everything that splits hairs between churches, wouldn't it be interesting to see what would happen if we devoted ourselves together in unity, prayer, and obedience to what Jesus said? So often we get caught up on what, what's the end going to look like, but so few of us forgot what Jesus said before he left his disciples, which was go and be a witness of the gospel message that I came to proclaim for the salvation of first the Jew and then everybody else. The completion of God's story. And we get welcomed into that. I just, I love that part. And then we get into this interesting part where they're in prayer. It doesn't tell us how long they've been in prayer, but after this section, it, it goes right into the day of Pentecost where Chris is going to start teaching into what that looks like with the tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit being empowered upon them and when they start to see the first converts come into following Jesus. But in this moment, they've been praying for a significant amount of time. And in obedience, prayer, and unity, the Holy Spirit 
speaks to Peter. I was, I was thinking about this because so many times we talk about Peter as like, oh, I'm just like Peter. I, I say too much or I say jokes at the wrong time and I always put my foot in my mouth and blah, 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 blah. All of us, we, we have an opinion of Peter, but what I do recognize in Peter is that he always had a desire to do what he thought Jesus wanted him to do. Right or wrong, he was always the first one to stand up. He was always the first one to say, yes, me too. And he was constantly looking at, yes, let's bring that kingdom here. Let's fix everything. His hope was in the right-ish place, but his understanding was missing. So then go back to this, right? So he walks them through all of the scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And after having an understanding, having encountered the risen Jesus, and after spending time in prayer, finally, it seems that Peter, in his right place, right? Because Jesus said, upon you, I'm going to build my church. So he starts with those 120. He steps up and he says, brothers, I feel like we're supposed to replace our 12th seat. Jesus picked, whether, whether we could talk all day long on what an apostle is, and we'll kind of get into that in here in a second, but it was a significant mark, this number 12. Jesus chose 12 men. They were his disciples. They were his original inner circle. There's like a mini inner circle in there, but the disciples and the apostles, who they are is this, this original 12, and they were there from, it says in, uh, in Acts right here, it says, they were with Jesus from the time of his baptism with John, to his death, his resurrection, and then ascension. So they were with Jesus that whole time. And so as they're praying, as they're seeking the will of the Father, right? Because Jesus said, go and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to empower you. As they're praying, Peter gets this idea and he, and he stands up and he says, I, I really think we need to replace the 12th. And then he gives a reason for it. He quotes two scriptures in Psalms that for the life of me, I read them over and over the last week. I'd have never got it. <laughs> uh, he, he pulls them out of this time where David is writing in the Psalms, and I'm not going to read them all for you because they're really extensive and incredibly dramatic, and they go up and down just like David does in the Psalms. Ah, everybody hates me, but I love you, and now I love everybody, and oh, no, they're going to kill me. Ah, Lord, I lift your name, right? Just goes through all the gamut. So he goes through this part where David is literally saying, God, I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've been stabbed in the back nothing's going out. They're all out to get me. God, please save me from this betrayal. I feel lost and alone. That's the first one he quotes. The second one is very similar, and he says, Lord, I'm all alone. I've been betrayed. This is horrible. Would you please kill the betrayer, ruin them to ruin, and then would you please replace them with someone who's there for me? Essentially is what David has quoted in the Psalms, and it's during this time where he was getting uh, he was running from Saul and one of them, and he was being betrayed by somebody. He was constantly in fear of his life. He, he'd known he'd been promised uh, to be the king of Israel, but he wasn't there yet. He was trying to honor Saul, but he wasn't there yet. He was trying to do it God's way, but he, he was wrestling with that. How similar is it where the disciples are at? Have you ever, actually, this is a good question. We'll do a show of hands. How many of you have ever prayed for one day straight? Not ever stopping. You just pray for an entire day. Anyone? Okay, we'll go less than half a day? Two hours? An hour? 30 minutes. Raise them high, people. 20 minutes? Five? Two minutes. Now, how many times have you ever just been crying out to the Lord in prayer and you felt frustrated or still didn't know what you were supposed to do? Extended period of time or not, sometimes you just are praying and you're seeking, whether it be for uh, illness, 
disease, hurt, pain, loss, direction, finances, your family, understanding. There are times where we spend time praying, but how often do we have another agenda in mind? We have other things we have to do. There are other priorities that we need to fulfill. And so whether it be five minutes or even a whole day, at some point we end up praying and we stop praying because either we're frustrated, confused, and we have no idea what we're supposed to do. In all honesty, that's where I'm at. There have been times in my life constantly where I'm seeking after the will of God. I know who God is. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I love him with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm trying to figure out what it means to love my neighbor as myself. And I'm just wanting God to lead me and my family. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. It can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. It's funny that Jesus said, didn't say, go pray for three days and then I'm going to come. Go pray for a few hours, and then I'm going to come. Go pray for a week. He just said, go and pray, and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. One of the things I want to encourage us as a church in prayer, sometimes there's no timeline. Sometimes you could pray for years. It does not mean your prayers are unheard. It does not mean that God is questioned. It does not mean that God doesn't love you or understand you or see you. You are actually entering into the presence of God and you're seeking after him. I would say just keep doing it. I joke all the time. The only time I really feel like the Lord tells us what to do is with a no. (laughs) Rarely do I get a, yeah, sure, go do that. It's usually like 19 options and I don't know which one's right or no options and it's just God saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. And sometimes I don't even listen to him saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. I try and do the wrong thing. What I want to encourage you is, as you spend time in God's word, as he starts to reveal his plan and purpose in this world, and as we attach ourselves to the will of God through his word, through prayer, and through the Holy Spirit, we will be led by the Lord, whether we see it or not. There are times where you don't know what it is you're doing or how you're doing it, but when you're in living in obedience, you're living in unity with who Jesus is, and you are pursuing him in prayer, God will still lead and direct you even if you don't see it. And that is a hard thing to say. It's simple, it's just not easy, and I'm not trying to make a church statement here, but I am encouraging you, as I read this, I just see God's example and what Jesus has asked us to do, and I can't get around this idea that we need to spend time in prayer. Peter quotes these scriptures, he stands up in front of everybody, and he says, this is the reasons as to why I think we need to. And it's funny, there's no questioning of it. Nobody stands up and says, I don't think so, Pete. Why? I don't think David was saying that. No, I don't. Theologically, I do not agree, brother. Or they don't just say, oh, weren't you the guy who betrayed him? We're not listening to you. You have great ideas, right? They didn't say any of that. There's no no mention of that. There's just an understanding of the Holy Spirit in the room in unity, obedience, and prayer where they hear the same thing. There is cohesion with the body of Christ when we are spending time in prayer, unity, and attaching ourselves to the Holy Spirit and God's will. There'll be like a group effort of like, yeah, I think you're right. Now, there's all these reasons as to why people say it's important to, to fulfill that seed as the 12th. And honestly, they're all super, super good. I'm going to sum it up for you really quick in, in terms of what I have read and what I've seen. The number 12 is important. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and there just continue to be. It was a part of God's plan. There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Israel became these 12 tribes, and they became the nation. They were the elect people of God. They were the chosen people of God. They were how you you would communicate and connect with God on this earth pre-Jesus. 
It was, if you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through this process, and then you would be a part of the Jewish nation, the children of Israel. Twelve was this promise from the beginning. There's this motif of, of this idea throughout Scripture that twelve is this complete number, a full council. You can see it all over God's word, where they would bring all the tribes together to make decisions. When uh, the tribes of Israel were given their land in the promised land, they were allotted all of their spaces. Uh, There's this idea, even when Jesus was quoted multiple times in Mark and in Luke, where he says, I will, he tells his disciples, you will be ruling with me in heaven. You will, you will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. There's all this prophetic work. 12 was a number that just continued throughout. The way I've kind of landed on it is study it for yourselves. Look at the number 12. Look up. There's so much, not only on the internet, but in every like, commentary and book that is written on this subject. If you have like, more understanding, you want to know more about that, I just want to encourage you as I do your youth, stop waiting for anybody up here to tell you what to do and just read your Bible and study it for yourself. That's not a rebuke. That is an encouragement. Get obsessed with Jesus. Get obsessed with God's word. You will be amazed at what God does in your heart and your life. The understanding that is brought as you spend time in prayer and connection to his word and unity of the Christian body, God will move. His Holy Spirit will direct you in understanding, not just in where you're going, but in what he meant. Simplistically, God's plan started at the beginning and it's going to end. And he's not confused. He's not surprised. Jesus was it from the beginning to the end. And he's trying to bring us all in as a part of that. That's the exciting part. Book of Acts is super exciting for me because that's where we all get in. I'm excited. You can, you can be a little excited. If, if you don't know, spoiler alert, you weren't in and now you are because of Jesus, which is super, super exciting. Romans says it's the gospel message and how you are saved is if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. We just talked this through with the youth. It's not that hard or it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple, but it takes your decision to believe on God as the Christ and the Savior of the world that he died for your sins, and then you confess it with your mouth. It's not just for you, it's for the world. It's to bring people into this engagement of who Jesus is for the restoration of all things. This is what happens in youth. I just kind of, okay, back to it. I want, I want, so Peter says all this. There's an understanding in the room. Okay, we're directed by the Holy Spirit. We should fulfill this seat. It's important. Now, who should fulfill this seat? The word apostle is, has three kind of specific meanings used in the New Testament. People argue about this all the time. Let's just not argue. I'm just going to tell you the three, and I'm going to encourage you to go and study it for yourself. Number one, an apostle refers to one of the original 12, the apostles. All of them, they were named there. I was going to try and name them off by memory. I'm horrible with names. You can ask the youth. I say, you, hey, buddy, hey, pal, hey. I love them all. Very, I pray for all of them as buddy, pal, you. But one of the original 12 are the apostles. There's, this, there's a real distinction in their seat and their authority in the church. There's a real authority. There's a real prophetic word spoken over those 12 men. And those seats and those positions that carry through the New Testament into Revelation and the end of all things. That's, that's the first interpretation. Second, this word apostelos or apostello, apostelos, apostel, it's a, I do that all the time. It means apostle. It's Greek for it. It means the sent one, one who is sent. So at this point in time, there's a lot of rabbis, there's a lot of teachers, there's a lot of anything. If they sent one of their people to go and do something, they would be an apostle. Very generic term. Apostle is not this special Christian word that we have figured out on what it means to be closer to God and have understanding. It's actually just continued language. And the understanding at this point is, is you were someone who was sent by a teacher or rabbi with a message to do something or to say something. 
Now, then you get to the Christian version of it. You get to our other understanding in the New Testament. You take that generic and you make it a little more specific. An apostle is someone who has had an encounter with the risen Christ who is sent to do or say something to someone or to a place. So you've got this idea that an apostle is this specific seat and authority. You've got the generic understanding, which is just someone who's sent with a message. And then you have the Christian version, our understanding as a church, which is the apostle who is, we have... As believers of Jesus, if you have believed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, you've encountered the Holy Spirit, you then are stepping into the same idea, the same message of being witnesses of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, first to your, to your family, to your hometown, and then to the ends of the earth. You're stepping into that same tradition. You are an apostle of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not speaking of the Christian version or the generic version. This idea of what an apostle is, they're really speaking to this seat. This idea of fulfillment of the 12. And what they continue to see through the Holy Spirit is that 12, this seat, this promise, this prophetic work, it was important. Jesus said it. Jesus lived it. He called it. He attached himself to God's word. And after they had spent 40 days, again, with him before he ascended into heaven, they had complete understanding of what scripture meant. Everything that they had been taught from childhood, everything their culture had taught. And they saw Jesus through it all. And the Holy Spirit encouraged them that they should fill that seat. So then from that perspective, we step into this uh, verse 21. I'm going to read 21 and 22. It says, So one of them, a man who had accompanied during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So Peter steps up, and in agreement, once again, they say, it's got to be somebody who has been with Jesus from the beginning till now. A couple of real practical reasons. If you brought somebody in at the end, maybe they didn't remember all the things that were from the beginning. If they missed the baptism of, that John did of Jesus, maybe that, that's a critical piece of what it means to follow after Jesus. It was a critical mark in his ministry. It was an understanding and fulfillment of all of Scripture. Maybe there was an, a critical piece that they need to understand. Uh, another idea is if you didn't know Jesus, didn't talk to Jesus, didn't witness what Jesus did, you didn't witness him die, you didn't witness him rise from the dead or go into heaven, I don't know how, how it is for you guys being a Christian, but sometimes I look up at this guy and I say, I really hope this is true, just in all honesty. And I, I, again, I love Jesus. I've made my commitment for him. But there are times where it's like, it would be really great to see him. It'd be really cool to just walk with him for a while, eat fish tacos with him, have a great adventure, maybe even do something wrong and be told that I'm wrong and then watch him with his love, bring me into forgiveness and back into the fold. Oh my gosh. For me, it'd be like, I'm, I, kill me. It's fine. I'll do whatever he says. At least that's what I say now. You know, when it's put to the test, it's always harder. It's important. It was important for them that this seat understand what it meant for Jesus' ministry and who he was, fully man, fully God, resurrected and ascended, and that he's coming again. They would have been a part of the full understanding as well. They just saw that they should fulfill this. The coolest part about this for me and for us is that in prayer and in unity and in connection to God's word, the truth that is in it, the plan of God from the beginning, they heard from the Holy Spirit that they should do something, and they said, we should do this. And then my favorite part, the end of this section, says, and they put forth two, called, one called Joseph or Bersabbas or Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in his ministry and the apostleship for which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for him and they fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. 
I don't think we just cast lots for everything and try and figure out and let, let the magical God give us what we're supposed to do. I think the principle here is this. Once again, their response. The disciple and Peter's response to the resurrected Jesus. Before, they tried to tell Jesus what they sh- he should do, what they should do. They tried to tell him what they were going to do. Peter, right, says, oh, if everybody falls away, I'm not going anywhere. Peter trying to say, no, Lord, don't do this. Judas getting secretly and, and more quietly embittered because Jesus isn't fulfilling what he thought it needed to be. The disciples all being confused by fear because they didn't quite grasp it. But in this moment, they, had an idea, they felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, and then they brought a couple guys forward who met the criteria, and then they prayed. Again, in unity, together. And they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. We think this is what we should do. Will you please provide us with, a, with, with your decision? We leave it in your hands. And they cast lots, which was a tradition that had been carried through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, of a way of making decisions that puts it back in God's hands. And they did. And God chose Matthias. And then it ends right there. And it jumps into the next section. Sometimes when we're praying, it's easy to put our own words and our own thoughts and our own ideas of what should happen. And they're all sometimes really good ideas and good options. I don't think any one of us are ever trying to just be God and force him to do what we want. But there's an element in that if we don't connect with his Holy Spirit. There's an element of that if we don't attach ourselves to God's worth, which was true before we were born and will continue to be true after we die. It's important that we understand that God's plan supersedes ours. And sometimes the understanding of that never comes, and it can be frustrating. It just is. It's where I'm at. I'm wrestling with that same idea. I believe that there is a God who loves us. I believe he has a plan for us. But I believe that plan is not individualistic to me and for my time here on this planet and my time here in America, in North Idaho. I believe that plan is for me to attach myself to his will and his plan for this world and our generation and the people and the community that he's placed us in. The sooner we connect ourselves to who he is and what he's doing, I do believe peace comes. Not always understanding, not always the exact next step, but I believe that God brings peace and he brings direction. One of the things I wanted to do before I finish, I was just praying for you guys this morning. Um, I thought the idea was interesting that, they, that God revealed all of, all of Scripture to him. I just thought, how cool would that be? Because you don't like, sometimes when you hear a teacher speak, you kind of think, like me, you're probably sitting there going, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> this guy's crazy. Or who is this guy to tell me anything? But when Jesus is telling you this and walking you through point by point, and, and note by note, and showing you the completion, the, the totality of what it is that God's plan was in Scripture from the beginning till then, do you know how, like, it would just be like, oh, my word. And you can't sit there and go, I don't think so, Jesus. you just be like, okay, that's what it was, and that's what it means. Attaching ourselves to God's word. I just, it's, it's also interesting that he quoted Psalms to me. Um, I, I, I prayed and asked the Lord a lot, like, why would he have done Psalms? <laughs> Uh, but then I thought, it's interesting. So think this through. What we know of Jesus, what we know of church, what we know where you're at in your relationship with Christ, even if it's in its infant stage or if you've been following the Lord and you've seen it, the ups and downs over time, I want to read a couple of verses from the Psalms from the, uh, and the prophets, things that they would have been given understanding of what it meant. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Psalm 37, 4 through 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Psalm 33.20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Isaiah 12.2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 9.10 says, And those who know your name and put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 56.3 says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I don't know where you guys are at. And as we're studying and jumping into all this stuff with the Holy Spirit, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Holy Spirit, what it means to attach ourselves to the will of God, what it means to study God's word, be a Christ follower, and pursue him with everything. Like he said in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What I want to encourage you in is scripture matters. It's true. Jesus quoted it tons of times for understanding and direction. But just like scripture is important, prayer is important. Our connection to him, spending time, even if it's just to be confused and frustrated, even if it's just to like say all the things that you can't say to anybody else out loud and just say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. This is where I'm at. I, I just not sure what to do. And then his Holy Spirit is real. He promised it and it's here. You have access to the Holy Spirit. What that means, I sure hope Chris tells us because I'm still trying to figure it out. But it is real and it's a real thing that provides peace, hope, direction, and provision, and, and this leading in how it is we're supposed to attach ourselves to the will of God so that we as free agents of our own will and choosing make him our God and we become his people because he's chosen us and in that we can act according to his will in the earth and where we live today. If you're struggling, I just want to encourage you, go back to the Psalms, go back to the prophets, go back to the law. Those things were not meant to just beat you down and make you feel like you're a terrible person. They were meant to encourage you that God is God and he has a plan for restoration and he is coming again and we can be excited in that. Not just for us today, not just for our special church here, not just for you and your family, but for your neighbors, for the whole world as it just goes out and out. I just keep encouraging all the youth all the time. I say it over and over. I'm sure they're getting bored. <laughs> I'm positive they're getting bored because they go like this. Paul said it best. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation for all those who believe. First for the Jew and then for the Greek. Greek meaning everybody else. Everybody else that comes after the Jewish people. The promise comes through God's plan and it is for all of us. And it is for those who believe in their heart, confess with their mouth, and you will be saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your direction. God, thank you for understanding even when we don't know if we're understanding it. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to, to just birth curiosity in each and every one of us. Not because anyone's telling us to, Lord, but because we want to get to know you best. We want to understand who you are. We want to know your character, your nature. We want to understand what it is you're doing and how we can be a part of that. God, I pray that even this week, this long weekend, Lord, I pray that we would have time with you as a family we could ask questions. Kids can ask their parents questions. Parents can not know the answers and ask their kids questions. And Lord, as a family, we would pray in unity and faith and hope and belief in you 
that you can make understanding come through your scripture, through your truth, through your word. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the plan of salvation. And God, we just give you all the praise this morning in Jesus' name.